But on the other hand, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and we would be at great loss if we dropped out the Old Testament. 77.2%. I always confess I added the point two to make it sound authentic. Uh, but at any rate, it is extremely important. I am so surprised that in this day and age, we have some of our best young pastors who are well-known. You know exactly. I don't think there'd be a person here who wouldn't know the example I'm thinking of right now, who said we must unhitch ourselves and detach the church from the Old Testament. Really? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you later on, uh, sometime in the future, his name, so that in the final day, you won't get behind him uh, when we appear before the Lord. Because I think he'll hold up the line. Uh, and uh, <laughs> this will be a long time. By the way, it's okay to laugh in church. Uh, uh, we really need to smile a lot more. Uh, the Lord smiles at us and sees a lot of the things we do. He said, would you beat that? Uh, and uh, it just goes on. But this morning, I want to look at this section here, chapter 2, 17 through 3, 12. A call to trust the unchanging God. Uh, the love of the unchanging God to put both themes together. Malachi 1, 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. And now the theme in this section, which really gives us the two great building blocks of the whole book of Malachi, Malachi 3, 6, I, the Lord, change not, uh, O descendants of Jacob, therefore you are not destroyed. Uh, what a fantastic statement there. But let's ask God's blessing first and go to him in prayer, and then we'll get on with the lesson. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. And now we ask, come by your Holy Spirit and open up our minds, our eyes, and our hearts so that we may hear what you want to say to us. For indeed, your words are marvelous and they are sweet to the taste and beautiful for the perfecting and growth in our lives. So we ask, please help us. May the evil one be defeated this hour, and may you have all the praise and honor and glory, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Our text starts in verse 17, which sets up the whole problem for our discussion. Uh, the people there are saying, uh, or actually the prophet is saying of the people, you have wearied the Lord with your words. And here they come back again, these rascals. They say, who, us? We've wearied the Lord? When did we weary the Lord? 
He said, by your saying, all who do evil, you got to sing song this, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, If you don't understand that, uh, then you don't get the colloquial force of this passage. And uh, then it goes on to say, and he is pleased with them. And then a question. So two sayings, and then the question, where is the God of justice anyway? I had the privilege for many years working at Ted's Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and then at our uh, uh, four campuses of Gordon-Conwell, the one outside of Boston in Hamilton, Massachusetts, and then downtown Boston, uh, we had another ministry, and then uh, we had one in Charlotte, North Carolina, and one in uh, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida. And I went to the commencements every year, and as president, I was supposed to say, at least while I was up in Massachusetts, since Massachusetts is part of the colonies, and they were not states, but commonwealth. So they gave me a litany by the uh, rights invested in me by the Board of Trustees and by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I hereby uh, announce or declare to each of you uh, the uh, degree of uh, Doctor of Ministry, or uh, you would be a uh, Master of Divinity, or a uh, so forth went on. Well, it almost seems like the wicked here are holding a graduation service, and they're saying, uh, by the rights invested in us by the devil, we pronounce all who are wicked happy. That's what they're saying. And they're saying, if you want to get the real hang of things and you want to do the cool stuff, here's the cool stuff. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. Now, how do you say that? They say, because there are so many. And uh, if God were that interested, then let me ask you, where is the God of justice? How come God doesn't show up when there's uh, injustice and unrighteousness uh, going on? Uh, we have a, uh, a, a situation here where people are saying, if only God would stop those rascals, those uh, uh, people who are doing those acts of violence, uh, those wretched rebels who are always rioting. Uh, why doesn't God do something about that? And not only is that happening, but if you're watching the news this past week, again, California went way out in front and said, we're going to change the vocabulary so we don't have felons anymore. Don't use that word. It's a bad word. Of course, it's a bad word. <laughs> it's about bad things. 
but uh, they've come up with all sorts of things. A person coming back out of jail. Uh, don't say that he is a, a criminal uh, and that he is being uh, brought back in society. Uh, no, use, and they have these long, cumbersome phrases, which are ways that you don't use any of these uh, words. Uh, it is in accord, by the way, with what Bible says is going to happen in the last days. Rather than face the truth, they'll just reinvent reality. And so reality doesn't have the same shape it used to have. They change the vocabulary. And in changing the vocabulary, they think they have done that. And, of course, that's beginning now, and that has invaded our school systems. It was in the university college level for a good number of years, but now it's gone all the way down to kindergarten. And they are starting the kids out uh, young. Well, the book here talks about uh, the, uh, the problem why do the wicked prosper? And you have the people's nagging. Uh, they say the, uh, that, uh, that uh, their words are professed innocence. Who? Us? We did this? We said that? No, no. We haven't wearied the Lord with our words? No. Where do you get that at all? And then not only their words, but also the content. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And all who do evil, God delights in them. And anyway, where is the God of justice? One, two, three. Two statements and a question. They're very modern. They're very up-to-date. And... Uh, uh, the only sin these murmurers are conscious of is the sin of everybody else, not of themselves. And so they need to sing that Southern spiritual, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in need of prayer. Uh, but they didn't think so. They thought it was the rest of the guys. They needed that help. So uh, the uh, existing circumstances of the Jews was part of their complaint. If God is so good, how come the shekels in such bad trouble? If God is so good, how come things are so terrible as they were in the uh, uh, post-exilic uh, uh, periods. So either there is no providential work of God or God must favor the wicked. What a blasphemous way to try to uh, sort of jab it to those who are uh, trying to give the message of the Lord. So they begged and wished for what? The day of the Lord. Amos 5, verse 18, uh, is a great text in which he said, Woe to you people 
who say, wish the day of the Lord were here. You want the day of the Lord? You want to see really drastic action? Well, I'll tell you what it's like. He said, it's as if a man were running down a path, and he's going along real good, and all of a sudden, he puts on his skid marks. Uh, uh, I like... Uh, I, I liked to watch when our kids were growing up, Roadrunner, uh, beep, beep. Uh, and he went down the trail with us, beep, beep, you know. I picture this guy in uh, Amos 5. He could have taken his picture. And he goes down the trail, and, and he said, life is good, I'm okay, you're okay, everything's okay. And there's a lion. And he said, nice kitty cat, uh, nice kitty cat. And he walks around it as softly as he can. And goes, and he, he, he beats it. And he runs away and looks, and the lion's not chasing him. Ha <laughs> uh, ha. I'm just better than the lion. And off he goes again, beep, beep. And he's on down, and he stops. And Amos said, there's a bear in the path. And he says, nice teddy bear, and walks so carefully around it. And he goes again, and he beats it. He said, I'm beating the system. It can't catch up to me. Beep, beep. And goes, finally gets to his cabin, and goes in the door, slams the door, and leans against the wall, puffing and puffing. That's not in the text. I added that. Uh, and he puffing and puffing, and a snake bites him. <laughs> he said, that's the day of the Lord. You understand? <laughs> you think you've got it whipped. You think you've got the whole of history by the tail. But God has another stinger for you. Uh, Amos chapter 5, verse 18. So the old temptation was to complain about the prosperity of the wicked. Psalm 73, of course, begins, God is good all the time. And we add, all the time. God is good. Yeah. All the time. All the time. And then the psalmist goes on to say, yeah, but I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And he goes on for uh, some 15 verses, and he just says, I can't believe it. Look how the wicked are doing this, they're doing that, they're doing this. And God doesn't seem to pay attention. And he said, my feet, this is verse 17, my feet had almost slipped. And in German, this is called the great Danach. Because there comes now this little ever, until, until, until I went into the house of God. Then suddenly, I understood. I understood. And he said, I saw the end of these people. Oh, did that add a whole new, different dimension to it. So, chapter 3 is going to begin this right away. And it's going to actually uh, give to us the, the first of the uh, statements that... Uh, uh, come here because if uh, verse 6 of chapter 3 is the focal point, the place where 
the whole pivot, the whole content of the text pivots, then I'm going to use as my homiletical keyword qualities. And the interrogative, again, what? What are the qualities of God that mark his consistency uh, and the basis of his uh, decisions? So uh, we want to answer the question, where is the God of justice? And that's his first quality. The first quality is in verses chapter 3, 1 through 6. Our God is just and he's fair. Matter of fact, the very issue that is at stake here, uh, God is uh, just. And how so? He says right away with an intention getting word uh, in Hebrew, uh, behold, look, look, see, I'm going to send my messenger who will prepare the way for me. Uh, then suddenly, the Lord you're seeking. See, they were saying, where is the God of justice? Okay, the Lord you're seeking. So put an arrow there from the Lord back to the God of justice in chapter 2, verse 17. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Oh, put another line back. You desire him. Yeah, they did, uh, if you hold your tongue in your cheeks. Uh, whom you desire, he will come, says the Lord Almighty. So what's his answer in one Aramaic word? Maranatha. Maranatha. He will come. That's the verb. Maranatha means he will come. So where is the God of justice? He's coming. He's coming. And that's the first answer here. And uh, he's going to send a messenger to prepare the way before him, before me. Me again is the God of justice. Then suddenly, and he emphasizes the word here, it is going to be a just a rip snorter. Uh, you won't have expected it. You won't even be in shape for it. But boom, it will be there. The Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. Now, how do you know this is God? Because he owns the temple. He will come to what? His temple. See? That's how I know that's God. And what else is he called? The messenger of the covenant. The messenger of the covenant. Uh, and then he says, sort of uh, uh, sarcastically, whom you seek. The people didn't actually seek him. They only wanted to use him as an excuse. And where is the God of justice? As if they were looking for him. Uh, and what do you say about him? He is coming. He is coming. He is coming again. Uh, I took my... A leadership team to uh, Carolina, Asheville, North Carolina, to Billy Graham Cove uh, for a leadership uh, 
planning session, and uh, God was blessing us in those days. We moved from 900 graduate students, post-college, university, uh, all of them, uh, to 2,200 in just a short space of time. So we needed a lot of planning. We worked all morning at the Billy Graham Cove, and then the afternoon we took off. And uh, it's a beautiful sight of some, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 acres. And there's a path that goes up three hours to Lookout, which is the peak, and you get to see the panorama of the Smokies. It's beautiful. Well, my man who was my uh, uh, dean of the faculty, uh, Barry Corey, who subsequently became president of Talbot Seminary on the West Coast, uh, and also Biola. Uh, those two institutions are one. Uh, Barry decided to go take a walk up that path by himself. And he went halfway up past the phone, which was there for the guest to call back in case of any problem. And he met a black bear right on the path. So he didn't know what to do, but he remembered he just passed the phone a minute ago. So he went back and called up uh, the desk, the front desk, and a man came on the phone. He said, I'm Barry Corey. I'm a registered guest. I just met a black bear. What should I do? And the man was enthusiastic. He said, well, praise the Lord. He said, we have guests here that look all the time for black bears. Never see one. And I'm so glad you've seen that. Praise the Lord. And he hung up. Barry said, I didn't know what to do. So I was very careful. He reminds me of that man in uh, Amos uh, uh, chapter 5. Uh, and of this section here, which is the most beautiful text. Who is this messenger? Well, Isaiah 40 had also announced. And by the time we get to the New Testament, we find out that's John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way and said, Behold, he is coming. So that messenger prepared the way by spreading the gospel. By the way, it is interesting that John the Baptist held his meetings out in the desert. And all these rich dudes came from air condition or somewhat, uh, uh, Jerusalem, out to the desert to hear them. They were coming by the thousands. And uh, his message wasn't too uh, popular. He would say, all brood of vipers, you snakes. <laughs> uh, that's not a way to get favor. But they kept coming because... He prepared the way and actually spoke the truth. Uh, and 
Then, as he prepares the way, then suddenly the Lord came. But this same Lord will come again a second time. And when he comes again, he will come suddenly, and he is the owner of the house of the Lord, which right now is collapsed, but will be rebuilt. How will that be rebuilt? I don't know, but they're ready to assemble that thing on a moment's notice so that when the uh, green signal goes and some thing is worked out between the Arab Palestinians and the uh, Jewish people, that temple will be built. And he, the Lord himself, who gave the Abrahamic covenant, who gave the Davidic covenant, who gave the new covenant, the three great covenants that trace the whole plan of salvation. Uh, he is called the messenger of that covenant. Uh, he will come, says the Lord Almighty. So uh, he is just in his coming. But he also goes on to say, uh, Malachi verse 2, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a laundryman's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days uh, gone by, uh, as in former days. Wow. So uh, Malachi wants to know, same thing is asked in other passages, who among the general populace is actually going to be able to stand up in that day when the Lord moves dramatically? Have you read the book of Revelation? Have you read Daniel? Do you have any understanding? The most magnificent uh, earthquakes we have ever seen, moving mountains so that they go flat, moving continents so that some snap together. Uh, I'm telling you, this is marvelous. And all of Jerusalem, they're going to need a huge place for all of the believers to come and hear Jesus teaching during the millennium. And therefore, uh, uh, let's see, 10 miles north, and 30 miles south will all be leveled and made into one huge central place where the Lord Jesus can teach. That's going to take a lot of earth moving. That's going to be bigger than the big one they talk about at the San Andreas Fall. This will be bigger than anything we've ever seen before. Matter of fact, they're already talking about a, uh, a huge crater 
that is just off Japan that goes six miles in north-south direction. And that thing which has in the past uh, spewed forth an awful lot of the landmass that is there is beginning to uh, bubble uh, once again. Uh, the text says, but I want you to understand, when he comes, it'll be fair. It'll be just. He will go according to his character. And we can expect that. But it will also be just in his refining, too. I worked uh, my way through college, a good deal of it of the summers, for a refining company. We used to have uh, gasoline cracking units that were on the East Coast uh, before they moved them to Texas and moved most of them offshore uh, in other uh, countries. But uh, they would say that as laborers there in Atlantic Refining Company, and Gulf Oil was right alongside of it. Sinclair Oil was there, and uh, Sunoco Oil wasn't too far away. Uh, they would bring us in and set a huge uh, 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 sort of uh, open uh, uh, vessel-like that had gasoline on it. And they would set it on fire and it's about 30 feet in circumference, and they give each one of us a chance to take a uh, pressure hose and walk the flame off to the other side, away from oxygen. And uh, then they would also teach us what to do when the compressors backfired. And I think part of my hearing problem today is that I listen too much to those compressors. Boom! <laughs> and uh, we used to tease with uh, some of the African-American workers. When it would go off, they wouldn't look around to see what happened. They'd run as hard as they could for the fence and jump over the fence. And then finally come back and we said, hey, you were supposed to help here. Uh, that was a signal to grab a pressure hose. And they assured us they were going to be heroes tomorrow, but not today. <laughs> I got a big kick out of them in their uh, saying that. But a fire of a refiner, uh, that has to get up to 2,200, 2,400 degrees Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Uh, and uh, that would be for uh, gold. And the same thing, too, for laundry. What do you do? You put in soap. Now, what do clothes, real clothes, have to fear of soap? Nothing at all. But dirt, they've got everything to fear. And what about uh, refining? The same thing. So... Uh, the fire refines, uh, the soap 
uh, purifies. Uh, and uh, uh, this is an amazing thing here in which he gives a very good illustration. I was surprised to learn that in silver, you bring it up to a temperature somewhere in the neighborhood of what I just mentioned, and uh, the uh, a refiner keeps stirring and stirring, or has a, a mechanical stirrer, and keeps watching. But at the moment, he can see his face reflected on the surface of that silver, it is ready. He's got to get the silver out of there. Otherwise, it will go back again. It puts off during this whole process 16 times the oxygen that's in the air. So through that refining process, it's blowing out an awful lot. But there's a critical moment, and it's not too long, you've got to pull that silver out of there. So how does the man know? He sees his face. That's the interesting thing. How long will the Lord need to refine us? Answer, till he sees his face. He sees his image. Then he knows it's been long enough. It's been hard enough. There have been enough trials. For our Lord is trying to bring us to perfection too. And in verse 5, he is just in his judgment too. So I will come near you for judgment. I'll be quick to testify against, and now he gives a list, sorcerers, people who claim to be able to read palms or table turning. Uh, lots of times, young people sort of say, we're going to go up in the attic and try table turning. And they all concentrate and ask for the spirit to come. Now, a lot of that is plain foolishness and fakery. But there are times when some of them have been scared skinny by it actually working, and the table starts spinning and uh, moving on them. And adulterers, those who go off and forget about the vow they made to that uh, cute young lady when she was taken from the arms of her mother and father. And now the mother and father are deceased and gone, and... Uh, now, uh, in the later years, the kids are all gone, and uh, this guy decides to go out uh, parading with other uh, women. Uh, the biblical text says, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. You're an adulterer or a perjurer. Lying, lying, lying. And our generation has now engaged so much in lying that we don't know what the truth is anymore. We've forgotten what the truth is. Uh, this is not only in political parties, but it's also in our uh, daily working with each other and against those who defraud laborers of their wages. God has blessed the economy, and yet 
Some who are prospering very well, they should, if you're a believer, turn around and share that with those who work for you. Uh, it is uh, uh, just a major uh, outcry that comes up to God. And all who oppress widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. What is this? Uh, real estate people come along and say, I can sell your house. And they give the widow a figure and they pocket the rest. Uh, who sees that? God does. God does. And the same thing uh, for uh, children who are left behind without uh, parents or aliens. Uh, he says, uh, what's the real problem? They don't fear me. You see that at the end of verse 5? But they don't fear me. Is there no fear of God left? Is God a paper tiger? Will he not move in and finally take up the cause of that widow or of that uh, orphan or of that alien or of that worker who is living on tips, but you know the tips are not covering it? $2.83 an hour and then tips, and you don't take care of that, biblical text says, hey, don't you have any fear of me at all? That's the theme that is here. Uh, so in verse 6, God also shows his justice in how do you think you people still are around? Why, the fact that you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed, and yet I still love you, that's indicated that I've been more than fair, more than just. So you say, where is the God of justice? Or all who do evil must be good in the eyes of God. Uh, no, no, that won't work at all. But then a second uh, great quality, verses 7 through 12. And there he goes on to say, gives his call. Ever since the time of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way back to David, uh, he says, uh, all that time, ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Lord said, I called and called and called and you said, I'm busy. So what's God's word? This is the one word that summarizes all 16 writing prophets. I kid you not. Return to me. The Hebrew word is shuv. S-H-U-V. Shuv. <laughs> and if you'll mind a little pun, God is trying to give them and us a shuv in the right direction, uh, or in a shove. Uh, so, uh, a shoe. But he says here, return to me, and what? I'll return to you. Where is the God of justice? You've run away from him. We've run away from him. 
we need to come back. Then he'll return to us, says the Lord Almighty. But you say, who, us? We need to return? Where have we been? We haven't been anywhere. We're right here. Uh, he says, all right, I'll give you an example. Will a man rob God? And yet, you rob me? Uh-oh, uh-oh. Now this is going to get serious. Uh, but they say, who, us? We're stick-up men. We hold up God. Nah, not on your life. We don't hold him up at all. He says, do in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. The whole nation of you because you are robbing me. Why is it the blessing of God is taken away from some nations? Because they've cheated God. They've cheated God. So he says, here's the remedy. Bring the whole tithe. He didn't say the tithe. He said the whole tithe. Bring the whole thing. So I'm not interested just in money. I'm interested in your thoughts. I'm interested in your doctrine. I'm interested in your talents. I'm interested in your ministry and uh, the community. That's the whole tithe. And bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me. Try me. Prove me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you'll not have room enough for it. Boy, is that a hard phrase to translate. Not because we don't know what it means. God is saying, I'm asking you, test me. Test me. You go out on a limb and test me. And he said, I'm going to throw open the windows of heaven. That part we can get clear. But then he goes on to say, I'll pour out such enormous blessings. Now, the question, how we translate the rest of that? So that heaven runs dry? That's one possibility. Uh, hypothetically, we would give so much that God would say, hey, hold up. <laughs> the bank of heaven has been overdrawn. Uh, that could be. Uh, he says that in a hyperbole here. Or that uh, uh, we would not be able to contain it all. It would just be too much for us. For God goes on to say, in an agricultural society, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops. Yeah. Pastor mentioned this morning, boll weevil. Yeah. Uh, and we've got happening out on our Westlands. I hope it doesn't come this way. We've had enough uh, problems this year trying to get crops going. But uh, grasshoppers. And if, like in the past, they would come, a beautiful sunlit day will turn to night. Why? They're so thick that it blocks out the sun. And you can spot at them. You can take a settling torch and keep trying. But they've, the 
ones you hit will fall, but the others will patch up the holes and come right in order. You can't stop the rascals. They just keep coming. Uh, and he says, in vines in your field, they'll not cast their fruit. And uh, you can have a situation where the uh, grapes uh, get a certain part, and then they just fall off the vine before they're perfectly formed. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. Imagine that. They used to say, and we even put in our songs, God bless America. God bless America. And why is this the most prosperous nation, even to this moment, on the face of the earth? Because some have obeyed. But we're losing it as the generations pass. The older generations took more seriously this word. And we haven't trained that in our young people. My dad would give us our weekly thing for working summertime on the farm. But he would say, here, this is $5 or whatever it was in that day. Uh, here's what you should put in the offering if you want to do the 10th, 10%. That'll be 50 cents. Uh, and I've been at churches in the South, large church, 2,000 people. And the pastor said, we're going to take the offering. I'm sitting on the platform listening to him say this. He said, now, we have ushers standing at the front of each aisle. They have a wastebasket. So I think that's big enough. Uh, uh, all the tithers, please stand. Uh, I have a thing in the bulletin. If you made $20 this week, here's how much you should give. 21 22 50 on up to $100. And there was a graft there. So he said, come on forward and put yours uh, money in. And then he went back and he said, now, those of you are going to give just an offering. Uh, you're not, you don't have a tithe. You haven't learned to tithe yet, but you're trying. Now you come forward. And they'd line up and they all come forward and put their money in. Then he said, now, I'm going to a pastor-versary today, an anniversary for a pastor. And he said, this brother has been ministering in church down the road here for 15 years. And he said, now, we ought to bring a big offering for him too. And I don't want to go with anything less than $15,000. So, uh, Let's all stand and come forward and put in offering. This was the third offering. And uh, my wife, uh, not Nancy this time, this Marge, we were sitting with the deaconesses. All the deacons were up on the other side. All the deaconesses, you could tell deacons, they all had big hats. And Marge didn't have one. Uh, and they got up and they started pushing by Marge, <laughs> one moment said, honey, 
you can give too. <laughs> Talk about leading the witness. Uh, uh, and uh, she really didn't know what was going on, how to do it, but uh, there is opportunity later on. Well, this section here is the quality of faithfulness. Faithfulness and returning. Return back to me and I'll return to you. Faithfulness in the challenge in verses 8. What's the challenge? Test me. Test me. Lord said, try it. Try it. And in his promise, and that promise was, I'll prevent the pest, I'll bring your crop in, and it'll look very good. Some of us have <laughs> tried to have gardens, and rabbits have picked up. That may have been this verse here. Uh, and, and he said, and the nations, guess what? Around the world, they will say, blessed be those people in America. Why? They trusted in God. And he blessed them. Why do they have so much? Because of the blessing of God. Wow. Well, conclusions. Some of you have been praying for this. Here it comes. Uh, conclusions. So, uh, to claim that God esteemed evildoers as good and took pleasure in them is just plain a blasphemy. So, don't infer the inequality of things just because we think we can do it. And it's not enough to desire the coming of the Lord, uh, but there, it takes spiritual preparation for that day too as well. And uh, uh, you can read the other things here. Best offerings arise from the hearts of repentant people as we turn uh, back to him. What a fantastic Lord. What a fantastic, great text he has given to us. Where is the God of justice? Friends, he's coming again. Coming again. We used to sing in young people's coming again, coming again. Maybe evening, maybe noon, uh, maybe morning, maybe soon. Yeah, okay. Uh, and uh, what a wonderful hope that we have. Are we close? Oh, yeah. Biblical text says, when I start bringing back Israel to their land, look up. Are they going back? Yes. Seventy years now. How much more time? I don't know. But I think we ought to be prepared for one of the greatest raptures we've ever seen as the Lord himself uh, comes back for that great time of the uh, second coming. Uh, do you have any uh, uh, questions for discussion? Do you have that one there at all? No, just conclusions? Okay, that's on the other uh, thumbnail, I guess. Well, at any rate, uh, how could God love us more than how he has? How could we continue for 
so many years. Uh, coming up 150 years, is it? And God is blessed and blessed and blessed and blessed us. And he says, return to me. In Zechariah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, did not all the former prophets, and Zechariah was next to the last one, so there have been 15 ahead of him, did not all the former prophets come saying, turn ye, turn ye, shoo, shoo, turn back to me and repent. And God is looking for that as the basis for a great revival that is to come here in these United States. Can it come? Yes. What is needed? Just our heart response. How many churches does it take? Just one group of people that have said, as for us and our house, like Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve him. God has used this lighthouse for many, many years. May it be a starting point for a whole new initiative, not only in southeast Wisconsin, but the whole Wisconsin, and then spread right across the country and around the world. He's done it before, done it before, and how gracious God was. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the power of your word and for the justice of your person. Thank you for being unchangeable, immutable, always the same, maintaining your faithfulness and maintaining righteousness in every decision you've made. Now help us. We need your help. We know what needs to be done. We ask for grace. We ask for courage. We ask for movement of your Holy Spirit. For we pray this in your great and glorious name. Amen.